So today we're going to welcome Karen Dwyer. Now, I found Karen by, I suppose, not chance, Karen. Back in June 2021, my eldest daughter, Alice, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And as a result, it was just we were completely floored. The shock of the diagnosis, a beautiful, healthy, young, fit girl who was competing at world level with her dancing, um, ready to go to the dance world championships and boom this was just thrust upon her so we've embarked on a process and a journey over this past two years on a personal and private level for myself and Alice as her mummy I'm out doing the research I feel now Karen like I've done a, nearly a PhD in multiple cirrhosis at this stage and this is the first time I've ever publicly spoken about it and I thought it would be absolutely ideal for all of my followers and anybody who listens to my podcast to bring Karen in because Karen has built a business on something that she currently lives with, which is multiple cirrhosis. And she's helping other women across the world basically overcome massive hurdles, challenges, personal obstacles when it comes to the condition. So I'm going to let Karen introduce herself. And Karen, do you want to yeah. introduce yourself, let everybody know who you are? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so my name is Karen Dwyer, probably better known as the MS coach or the multiple sclerosis coach. And I'm, I'm probably most well known for reversing all of my MS symptoms and uh, my neurologist saying that I had burnout, which I didn't know. I thought burnout meant when you're really tired and exhausted. And uh, his phraseology was uh, sometimes people in their 50s or 60s, the disease can naturally fizzle out and leave the body. And I had that. So um, I kind of didn't believe it at first, to be honest, because I was you know, working really hard in myself, but I didn't know that that was possible. And were um, you feeling anything, Karen? Were you, at that time when you were diagnosed, previous to that event, what was your lifestyle like? You know, were you, uh, did you have health-seeking behaviours in your everyday life? You know, were you that type of person or was it something you didn't think about? I think, what was it like before? Life was really stressful before I had the diagnosis. Like I can see, you know, I can see the the moments in time where my system would have been inflamed or stressed. And um, I had been managing a radio station, like sales and marketing for radio station. My career was doing brilliant. I, you know, I had a partner, we'd gotten engaged. Um, I had a second child you know, we were going to get married. Life was going well, but there was some stress going on in the background. And then I, you know, got this numbness in my two fingers and it grew up my body and all the way down to the entire right side of my body. And that's when I knew, ah, okay, this isn't something that I've just slept on my arm funny. Mm -hmm. um, but life had been good. But yeah, the stress factors I can see. And, and I suppose, you know, I, I see it now. There's a common denominator in a lot of the clients that we work with, even if they're, you know, we have 24 different countries around the world. But I can see some common factors. It doesn't matter what age, race. And what, what are those common factors, Karen? Yeah, the, the first one is is stress. The first one is stress and, and maybe not having an outlet or a way to manage it. MS is an inflammatory, you know, disease. And sometimes people think like when they hear the words inflammatory they think food um and yes it can be that but actually it can be dehydration it can be stress it can be lack of sleep it can be you know really negative or damaging thoughts and it can be those patterns that maybe people have just become accustomed to that they feel like is normal in real life that they don't realize that actually they have the the power to change those um so it's interesting when i do 
come to that. And and look, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? You know, I can see all my own things now. I couldn't see them at the time. Yeah, and I thank you, Karen. You know, whenever before you were diagnosed, did you go back and say, "Well, this wasn't good"? Did Did you almost like rewind yourself, thinking, "I should have managed my stress better. I should have done this better. I should have done that better." Because I know when Alice was diagnosed at the time, she took a numb her jaw, her cheek. She came into me one morning and said, "Mummy." my cheek is numb I have no feeling on my cheek and then within a few days the pain had run into the back of her neck and she had a really really painful headache and she was just about to set her AS levels which in Northern Ireland's I don't know if it's equivalent to like the leave insert and in, in the yeah. site but um you know we never thought anything about it Karen you know we thought nothing about it at all now she was going through a stressful time at that moment she is was you know working really hard for her dancing and you look back and you think to yourself maybe she was doing too much at a young age you know and type a characteristics always putting pressure on yourself perfectionism and you look back and you think to yourself oh my god you know should have should I have stopped her should I have done you know it's just that period you think what was I doing did I create this you know is it or is it genetic is it is it sitting there ready to happen you know you it's these my god but then you go into fix what can you do control the controllables and for why I reached out to you was I loved the fact that you don't look like a poster poster girl for MS because when a 17-year-old girl is diagnosed with MS, her only benchmarks for multiple cirrhosis was the people that she knew in wheelchairs. You know, it was the poster, the people they put on the posters for multiple cirrhosis. And whenever I started to do more research in this, I was absolutely adamant that I certainly wasn't going to put anybody in front of my daughter or get her to talk to anybody who wasn't a representation of what I think seems to be the majority of people with MS, Karen. And, and I think the before this happened to our family and happened to Alice, I had this vision and this stereotype in my head of what people who had MS were like and what they were going to become. So for anybody listening, can you sort of, because, you know, if anybody goes on, logs on to Karen's Instagram, you'll see Karen's beautiful, stunning woman, stunning skin this picture of health and well-being Karen and you know talk to me about that talk to me about um because people listening are probably like the way I was um lacking a knowledge about the condition I just thought oh my god my daughter's going to end up in a wheelchair this poor child is never going to be have children you know talk to us about that yeah and and here's what I will say I had exactly the same Mm -hmm vision understanding of what MS was when I was diagnosed first and my first thought was shit am I going to end up in a wheelchair how long is it going to be before it happens like immediately because that was my only understanding or connection with in fact there's not a lot of people with MS that end up in wheelchairs it's actually quite a small percentage so that's the first thing to say um I I'll never forget, and and I must acknowledge you because you've done a lot of research on me as well, which is great, but like all around. So first of all, amazing that you're doing that for your daughter. Like there's nothing like a mother's love and ferociousness in protecting my babies, right? So like really good on you. I wish you could take it off her card. I wish you could. You know what? And and here's what I'll say to that. And this this might be hard to hear. Yeah. It took me a long time to get to this point. Any of may have heard the phrase and some people might get angered with this and I do not mean it to land in any other way than hope. And the phrase that really helped me was this is happening for me, not to me. 
what's happening for me, not to me? What is in this that I can embrace? What is it about my lifestyle, how I'm living life, what I'm doing that I can transform, not change? Because I think change then comes with like this guilt that I did something wrong. And it's not that. It's just like, okay, well, how I'm living or how I'm being is not serving me. And and what is it about that that needs to transform or what could I transform? And if I go back to, to your original question, Tara, I think one of the biggest things first when someone is diagnosed is, is that fight or flight response. Like, oh my God, what am I doing? One of the, the very natural things that I certainly personally did, but also I see my clients doing is their first thing is they don't want people to worry about them. And it's like, you put on this kind of autopilot, like, okay, I'm just going to do what I need to do. A lot of the times people have a go hard or go home type approach. I must exercise more to keep it away. So it's like pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away, rather that rather than embracing and surrendering yeah. exactly where you're at and exactly where you're not, because that's frightening. Yeah. It's really, really. Yeah, it is. It is fr- it's frightening for an adult, mm-hmm. you know, but a, a girl, young girl who's 17, who doesn't know anything about the condition and the only mm-hmm. is the only template she has are people are in a wheelchair and you're trying to introduce her to new and very positive examples of people who are doing very well leading a normal life rearing kids having kids doing a full-time job you know it's it's and, and I think she went into that response where she was shocked at the start mm-hmm. um and she thought life is normal. Doctor told me I can keep doing what I'm doing. But for me as a mom, you're still going right. Okay. I now have to manage this girl because she does so much and you're trying to hold her back from doing things before that she, that she, you know, it's the fatigue. I think, I think it's important that I clarify that Alice has no symptoms at all. The only symptom she has from right. her MS is the fatigue, you know, so she might have to sleep every day for maybe an hour, but that's it. Nothing else. She, she said herself, she wouldn't think there was anything wrong with her only she has an official multiple sclerosis diagnosis she would not know and we're very lucky that we got that diagnosis so we can manage her stress and manage her activity levels and manage her diet you Mm -hmm. know I can I can help her do that I'm very fortunate and it's fantastic Karen that you actually have built a business doing this for other people which is absolutely amazing and and why I've invited you on this podcast so yeah anybody listening who has MS um like I coach women with MS to help them with their diet because most of the the clients I coach will be obese or overweight which as we know is something you want to to moderate and and you want to have good weight management when you have this condition so talk me through Karen what you then how you got into the business how you ended up where you are now what was your journey and moment in time where you started thinking right okay I'm going to control the controllables here yeah brilliant I I certainly am one of the things that that you mentioned earlier and it's one of the things that uh, has been monumental in my journey is I did join all these Facebook groups and looking for support and actually my mom brought me to an event at some hotel up in Dublin airport and the first person that I saw was someone going in a wheelchair and I was so upset I was devastated yeah. really underneath it all I was really just scared so were you really scared is, were you twice were you very scared Karen terrified yeah terrified to the point that I actually turned to my mom and I'm not proud of this and I went what the are you bringing me to I do not want to see people that are further along ahead of me I do not want to be here it was like I was so angry because I, do you know what I had everyone became an MS expert you were young weren't you you were you were in your 20s 30 30 okay 
and, and people did it with intent, like really good intentions and really good heart. But actually, it was probably one of the most frustrating things to have to deal with, because all of a sudden you felt about this small and yeah. everyone knows more than you and is telling you what to do, or who to speak to. And it's like, oh, go away. Yeah, so, so much misinformation out there, Karen, it's like nutrition and diet and fat loss. There's so much absolute crap out there. Women and women come to me and they're so confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure yeah. for you, MS was the same. Yeah, totally. I I think the point for me was, <laughs> and I laugh at it now, I didn't laugh at the time. I had went to like a, a wellness seminar and one of the questions was, what are you grateful for? And I thought, what am I grateful for? Are you serious? My ex had walked out a couple of weeks beforehand on Christmas Day. I was now homeless in my mom's with two kids. I was on an invalidity pension because I'd given up my job because my health was or my career was going up like this and my health was going down the other way. And it was like, okay, something's got to give. So I gave up my job to look after my health. Not sure it was the best idea, to be honest. (laughs) And someone asked me what I was grateful for. And it was at that moment I realized, oh, I've sunk very low. I've sunk very low because I can't think of anything. And it was that moment that I decided to make myself happy again because I didn't know how to look after myself. And you mentioned it, so much conflicting information. And no matter what thing I looked, I then found something else that was different. So I started searching and researching and reading so many science uh, experiments and papers um, and started researching brain health and then all of the things that went with it. And I made a commitment in a January and the following January and in between this my liver count was seven times higher than it should have been with the medication that I was taking. And there's loads of medications that are absolutely amazing. My body, unfortunately, just decided to reject yeah. most of them. And um, what did you end up, Karen? What so what did your what did your sort of medications? I know there's like a scale, there's like entry level right up to infusions. What did you start off on and where are you at now? Yeah, I was at beta interferon injections. I went all the way up to Galinia. Um I was probably one step away from the infusions. It was either Galinia or infusions and we went with Galinia and then my body had such a response and reaction that I had to come off everything um, and they needed to give my body a rest. And so I made a pact with my neurologist that he wasn't too happy about and said, look, I want to take a break. Give me a year. Mm-hmm. And if anything happens in between that, I will go back on them, but I my, I feel like a guinea pig. I just need to. You're, like, you're, you're, Karen, you're taking no medication for your MS. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And that's a personal decision you took for yourself with your doctor? With my doctor. Yeah. yeah, with my doctor. Um, And then I went back a year later and he was like, What have you been doing? Now I'd gone to a few appointments in between that, you know, regular checkups. And he's like, What you have you been your doing? MRIs every six months or every year? Every six every six months um before that though the years before that sometimes it, like if I was having a relapse I'd be in hospital I, you know I might have had five in one yeah. year yeah um because they had told me at the time that my the number of lesions on my brain and spine would have been normal for an eight-year-old it was like lit up like a Christmas tree mm-hmm. and one very large one on my spine so when I'd gone back to the neurologist then a year after making this decision um with his blessing um he'd asked me what I was doing so I told him everything from meditation to vitamin d to everything that now i i I do with my program and said all the lesions have shrunk and disappeared like what like what the hell and i said okay i said am i cured and he's no no we don't use that word i said okay am i in remission no no we don't use that word i'm like give me give me give me something (laughs) (laughs) 
And he said, burnout. Uh, sometimes people in their 50s or 60s, the disease can naturally fizzle out and leave the body. And you've had that now. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So talk me through, Karen, then what did you do in that year um, where you decided, right, I'm taking no more medication. And from that year to the next year, talk me through and explain what you did for yourself that you feel contributed to the to, to the reductions in your lesions because I know yeah. Alice's lesions in her brain and her spine and mm-hmm. um you know what do you feel was the biggest contributory factor to to helping yourself yeah this is an interesting question because I can tell you what I did yeah and and let me I need to kind of give a bit of context to it To give you an example, we have clients from all over the world in our programs and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for them. For example, we have a medical doctor who has MS that came to us and she um, came to us and she was dealing with a lot of different symptoms going on. And I genuinely remember having the thought, how can I help a doctor? Yes, They know a hell of a lot more than me, are a hell of a lot more qualified than me. And when we looked at her um, assessment and worked there it was eating foods at the wrong time lack of hydration and not managing stress and actually exercising too hard yeah yeah and, and sometimes and I, I get you on that Karen you know sometimes I find I'm peeling women of the ceiling most of the time and getting them to pull back as opposed to keep pushing all the time you know the central nervous system can only take so much and especially women over 40 and 50 you know you have to obey your body and learn you know to do the things that take the least effort, but can sometimes be as impactful if you keep doing them. But, you know, exercise is a big one, you know. And and tell me, Karen, then, so for you, it was, do you find that in that year, did you feel any different or did you just feel the same? Or And it wasn't until you had the MRI and you realised the lesions were gone, you know. Yeah, there's a few things. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what I did because it's it's kind of the same, but 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 different. For me, the first thing was addressing my own unhappiness and stress and giving myself permission to be and and really accepting where I was. That was probably the hardest thing because I didn't want to. It was, I think most of my time was spent putting energy into making sure everybody else didn't worry about me and making sure that I was okay. No, don't worry about me. And actually that was exhausting. It was exhausting. And you know, this like fake it till you make it. Hmm. Don't necessarily agree with that. If if you're faking it until you make it and you're actually internally doing okay, yeah. great. If you're acknowledging and honoring your body. um, I wasn't. I was doing that. That was the most important thing. Oh, no, I'm fine. In fact, I went out of my way to help other people so that they wouldn't worry about me. Look how great I am. I'll show you. It was a distraction technique almost for you? Yeah. Yeah. If I, it was if a, I, a sophisticated if I denial. If I don't deal with the elephant in the room here, you know, it's like women send to me, um, I put everybody first and I don't take care of myself and I'm going, yeah, but you're giving yourself permission. So what you're doing is you're ignoring the elephant in the room and you're creating this excuse, i.e. distraction, procrastination technique. So I will look after my kids, look after my parents. And that means I don't have to look after myself because it's easier to look after them than it is to take action, to lose weight, get fit, get healthy and do it. Was it something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was too painful for you to deal with that hugely so self-acceptance yeah. before you you know then it was mm-hmm. go help others instead because the, the fear that I had was what if I try and it fails so it was easier just to not try and and sometimes staying in that discomfort and that pain yeah. is safer because you know it yeah. rather than taking the step out into that gap of expansion um 
So that was the first thing, giving myself permission to actually be exactly where I was. The second thing was just finding my joy again. What actually made me happy? I had no idea. I had no idea. So I started doing things like that. I started neglected yourself so much, Karen, to that point that you did not know what made you happy. You were just so distracted that you hadn't that core set of values and beliefs and you weren't living by that. I was in survival mode. I was surviving to get my kids to school, back from school, dinner, and then I just wanted to go to bed. It was, I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that listening to this. Uh-huh. It was exhausting. And you know what? I was pissed off with everything and everyone. And even like friends that had asked me, you know, to go out or meet up. And I remember thinking, oh, it's well for you, you know, like, like nasty. Um, I remember thinking as well for you, you know, and, and I just felt, I felt disgusting. I felt, and I felt I had nothing to contribute to a conversation because all I wanted to do was project my own stuff so I just started isolating myself and then I ate my emotions you know it's like comforting myself with something that I could control and that you know doesn't work Mm. (laughs) it certainly didn't for me what did you do with your nutrition then how did you modify your nutrition once you once you created as I always say self-acceptance before self-improvement yeah what did you start to do then for yourself in terms of your diet and your nutrition felt was of value I failed many more times before, you know, I tried veganism. No, it didn't work. Not and for it's me. funny, anyway. Karen, because I, we've talked, you're touching on the veganism. Everybody I speak to who is doing well with MS has all turned vegan. And I've done the research and there's no research to support that a plant-based diet helps MS. We just, we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people are saying, oh, she has to go vegan. She has to go vegan. And I'm going, oh, she doesn't have to go vegan. And I'm so delighted. And I'm not by and I always find that people have a, have a belief in their head and they usually find other vehicles for people who feeds into that narrative and belief that they have. And then they hang on to it. But I'm always very open to suggestion and very, very open to anything. As long as there's a backup of science with it, you know, not not something airy fairy. Um, yeah. So so for you, Karen, did you find just modifying your diet, not particularly going vegan, but modifying what what in particular do you think has helped you? Veg in particular. And let me just give you one example just about veganism on that, because it's what anyone's choice and about animals. Absolutely fine. We actually worked with a lecturer um, and she came to us. And when I tell you, it was like raw food, vegan, an hour of yoga every morning. I mean, super if you looked at her you'd think like oh my god she's super healthy but in fact her body was under so much stress she wasn't able to actually digest her food properly so her body was taking up all the energy to digest all these foods beans things like that that like caused pain like she actually had pain in her body we introduced protein in a really thingy way and it wasn't against her that she was doing veganism for you know her health more so than you know not eating animals and the pain is gone. Her mobility is better. She's not waking up with shoulder pain during the night anymore. And look, this is a combination of movement and other stuff as well. But we saw an improvement. And anytime that we have someone that comes to us that's vegan, and when we do introduce protein back in, there is an improvement. I'm not saying that it's an overall thing, but a lot of the time the body can be in need of. And so is overcompensating and those compensation patterns then happening in the body. And um, going back to your question, what else did I do? Um, I started looking after myself. I started saying no without apology to people and things I cut some people out of my life I I'm not in a nasty way but as in like huh that's not serving me anymore or those friends that you know kind of operate like that or gossip mm-mm, I don't like that it doesn't work for me um I forgave some people who 
had wronged me, put it that way, um, and some past trauma and got really settled with that. And actually that gave me a lot of power and a lot of freedom um, to have my voice and to not feel that I had to fight all the time. Um, you know, moving again in a different way, getting outdoors. I remember the moment when I knew that I was getting better because I was walking my daughter in a buggy down to the shops. And there's these flowers that grow over the wall in springtime around the corner from my mum's house. And I actually stopped and smelled them. And I've, I, I still have the smell. I actually, it's my screensaver on my phone. Um, I can still smell that smell. I remember stopping and smelling them and thinking, oh my God, I, I really enjoyed that. Oh my God, that brings me some joy. And I thought, oh my God, the light is literally getting in. It's getting in. And I started crying walking down to the shop because I you figured blocked it out for you blocked it out for so long, Karen. You know, it's literally you're smelling the roses again, the simple things in life. Yeah. Yeah, that, that are free and that are around us, but we're going at like a steam train at 90 miles an hour. We don't see it, we don't feel it, we're not open to it. And yeah. that's the most important things. <laughs> it's the simple yeah. things, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, I I I started dressing the way I wanted to. I started going out. I, you know, I did lose a bit of weight as well. And yeah, I just started curating and designing my life like I wanted it to. Yeah. Um, I got a coach, started making myself accountable. And, and I think the biggest thing was me actually taking accountability and responsibility for myself. And a lot of the time when people hear responsibility and accountability, they think like, oh, you're wrong, you're bad. And it's like, no, actually taking accountability for my happiness and my joy yeah. and for my health actually is empowering and it can be enjoyable rather than a chore. And I think that was the really big shift. Yeah. And then, you know, when people started hearing what I'd done, because I published a gratitude journal and I did like a, a launch party and then people started hearing about it. And then I started getting calls going, I heard you have a cure for MS. I'm like, I don't, I definitely don't have a cure. There is no cure per se. Um, but I'll tell you what I did in the hope that it helps you. And then um, I spent a lot of hours and days doing that. And then I thought, okay, I need to put this together because we started getting calls from different countries. And it's now turned into, I think we've won about six awards. We've, we work with 24 different countries around the world. We've had people, you know, move from being in wheelchairs to walking again with canes, people on canes, walking now without canes. We've had people have eyesight loss, people going back to work, getting married, having babies. And, and the biggest thing, and this is the biggest joy, is that they're not afraid of their health. Like the promise of our program is to live more, worry less and feel great. Yeah. And we fulfill on that 100% of the time. And yeah. that is the joy in life. Fantastic, Karen. I think I think your story is fantastic, but I think taking that and paying it forward is even more phenomenal. And and for me, you know, as a mummy of a child with MS, you know, listening to you and knowing that there's support out there. And, and I find that, when someone has a disease or when somebody's what I would call ill at ease with their body, um, they can be very vulnerable. And there's a lot of charlatans out there. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of people will tell them anything that they want to hear as long as they can get the coin out of their pocket. And as somebody who is <laughs> relentless in telling the truth, and I always almost tell people, look, if you want to hear crap and rubbish, go somewhere else. It's, it's nice to find someone who's taken it and, and, again has been very honest and saying there is no cure because there isn't um mm -hmm. but you can accept responsibility and when you when you take responsibility everything changes because you, you you have the power back 
you show up differently for yourself completely. I, I might give you an example. We had a gorgeous woman and her daughter come to a, one of our live things. I mean, this is years and years ago at this point. And the kid was only 15 or 16, 16 at the time. And she came in and we did our seminar and uh, she joined the program. She was in secondary school. I think she was in fifth year at the time, going into sixth year. So we worked there all the way through. She was phenomenal. She wanted to study pharmacy. She failed her leaving center. Didn't get, she didn't fail her leaving center. She didn't get the points for that. She paid for herself to go to the institute in Dublin to repeat her leave insert, was getting the train like two hours every morning from where she lived to Dublin, put herself through private school. She's now in college, I think in her third year in pharmacy, maybe. And her MS symptoms are great. Mm -hmm. She managed all of that throughout it. So it's, you know, sometimes when we hear you know, people that are young and we think, and I, and I can, I can so appreciate like you saying, oh God, I'd love to take it off. Or sometimes it's the making of people. And I think it's, uh, it's Karen, a choice. I completely agree. And, you know, Alice always says, you know what, mommy, this has given me so much more joy in my life because I know now, and, and for me as a mommy, I'm always, you know, trying to, to educate and, say to the kids it's the simple things it's it's you have to enjoy living the now don't think about the future forget about the past you live in the now and enjoy the small things mm -hmm. and she has become so much more mature and she would be sort of helping other people and guide other people in different things she's very good at managing her emotions she's doing really really well in, in uni you know she's achieving all her goals and more um yes she's on medication she has toyed with the idea of coming off medication and she's on the fence about that Karen and you know um it's her choice she's a grown mom well she's 19 now but you know people it's, it's a tough one to know whether to go off the medication or not because she's so young and she's so fit and her diet, she looks after herself, her diet, but it always was. And this is why people said to me, how, that's amazing you're always getting that. She's so, like, she's probably the healthiest eater in our house. She was always active, you know, but she's the one, she's the one had the diagnosis. And, mm. you know, in terms of anybody listening to this, who is in medication, who is doing very well and thinking of coming off it, what would your advice be to someone like that, Karen? I think the first thing is to say is I'm not medically qualified to give that advice and yeah. I would never. Mm -hmm. However, um, personal opinion rather than medical um, is don't come off anything until you are fully like built up with your own health from the inside out. Like get yourself to a place where you know, no kidding, I am eating, sleeping, thinking feeling moving in a way that I have I have it all boxed and ticked off yeah. that's that's the journey then with your medical practitioner talk to them and if you are going to do it figure out a plan and and do it very very slowly but I I my opinion would be that a mix of both until you're at such a place where you know that you have everything nailed with your own personal health and self-care um I wouldn't be coming off medication until you're at that point that would be my personal yeah. opinion yeah. and 
always, always, always work with your medical uh, practitioners. Yeah. And a lot of the time people can say, and I know because of my own story, it's, you know, it's slightly different. I had to come off it. I don't recommend that people do. Like medication is amazing. It does so much Mm -hmm. for everyone. And there's times when we could maybe not use it as much. And there's times when we really, really need it. And I think that's a personal experience and depending on what symptoms and everything else you're dealing with so I know that's a bit of a a bit of a a wishy-washy answer but I think it's an important one I understand where you're coming from so anybody listening to this um Karen if you can let everyone know where can they find you on socials if they want to reach out and ask you anything where can they get you yeah great question so um Instagram it's under I am Karen Dwyer Facebook uh the same uh we have a free masterclass at mstosuccess.com, M-S-T-O-S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. Um, people can book in a free call. We don't work with everyone. I think it's important to say. Um, so we'll do an assessment with people and they'll be interviewing me as much as it'll be the other way around just to make sure, you know, that we can work out if or how we can help someone. Because like you said, someone has to be coachable. And yeah. actually willing to do the work. A lot of the times we get people saying, oh, I want so-and-so to do it. And actually we've got to speak to the person they they yeah. must actually have a desire to uh to transform their health so karen dwyer on instagram facebook um the masterclass at ms to success.com karen it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much and i'm sure you'll give hope to loads and loads with thousands of downloads on our podcast so thank you so much really appreciate it oh thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you